This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Welcome, everyone, to the latest episode of Scholarly, the podcast brought to you by the ATS Scholar Journal and the ATS section on medical education. I'm your podcaster, Deepak Pradhan, a pulmonary critical care attending at New York University and associate program director there. And today I'll be interviewing Dr. Elizabeth Stevenson on her recent ATS Scholar article entitled Effect of Palliative Care Curriculum on Serious Illness Conversation Preparedness. It's a pleasure to introduce you all to Dr. Stevenson. She's a pulmonary critical care medicine attending at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston, which means that she cannot pronounce her R's. It's going to be something like Pakdaka in Harvard. You know, but we were actually colleagues in internal medicine residency together at Brown University in Rhode Island years ago. Uh, Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you. So, you know, as an educationalist, I was really drawn to this article because I'm always interested in the curriculums others are creating, the problems that they're solving, the processes they use, and kind of the trials and tribulations that, uh, you know, individuals go through, particularly for iterative change and um, how we assess for kind of meaningful impact from those endeavors. And so, you know, set us up uh, a bit, you know, and our listeners to understand the background for your intervention. You know, what was the problem that you and your colleagues were trying to solve with uh, the creation of this palliative care curriculum? Absolutely. I would say that uh, end of life issues and the delivery of goal concordant care has been a longstanding interest of mine ever since we were residents together. And this curriculum was actually a piggyback project off of a, a, an initial project that we did in our hospital to assess how we were doing with the treatment at end of life. One of the co-authors and I, Dr. Ashish Rai, uh, built a database over two years that consisted of 740 patients who are admitted to, to the hospital at the end of life, meaning they either passed away in the hospital or they were discharged to a hospice facility. And we just wanted to take a good look at all aspects of their care, and we found some interesting correlations. We found that if they had a code status taken on admission, this correlated to a decreased odds of being transferred to the ICU as well as to a shorter length of hospital stay, regardless of the code status they elected. We found that if palliative care was consulted, consulting them within five days of that hospital admission was associated with decreasing direct cost, decreased hospital stay, and decreased invasive measures such as surgery, intubation, or non-invasive ventilation or vasopressors. And we also found that the presence of a MOLST form or a healthcare proxy form on admission was associated with a decreased frequency of ICU transfer. This project really illustrated to us the importance of code status documentation and serious illness conversation in providing goal-concordant care, and we wanted to make sure we were providing our residents with the tools and training that are needed to be comfortable with these conversations. So that is how the idea for the project was born. And Dr. Rye then enlisted a then intern, now chief resident, Dr. Caroline Cubison, who is interested in palliative care and who actually just matched at Mass General Hospital. So she won't be able to pronounce her R's soon either. <laughs> and um, together with our pal palliative care physicians, Drs. Reed and McDonald, we brainstormed about how to best tackle this issue. Um, there was already a palliative care curriculum in place that was one monthly didactic lecture during a uh, noon conference, but 
uh, we wanted to make it more intensive and more interactive in hopes that we were really going to impress upon our residents the tools that they need and make them more comfortable with these conversations. And you know, you mentioned this uh, term serious illness conversation. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that, what that entails? Absolutely. The Ariadne Institute, um, or Ariadne Lab rather, if you're, if you're at all familiar with that, actually has a serious illness conversation guide. And that is how we, that's how we, that, that's the guide that we use to try to teach our residents how to do this. It talks about sort of setting up the conversation, assessing understanding and preferences, um, such as, you know, what's your understanding of your illness? How much information would you like from me in this conversation? The sharing of the prognosis and the exploration of key topics such as goals, fears, worries, sources of strengths, trade-offs, family, and things like things like that um, to, to really guide our sort of to have, um, I would say, uh, sort of checkpoints through this conversation to make sure that we're giving the necessary information to the patient in a way that the patient is comfortable with and can, patient and family rather, are comfortable with and can really take away something from the conversation. Perfect. So it's a pretty good kind of framework or guide for kind it's, of yes. clinicians and providers um, yes. and really kind of exploring what's what's important, right? Okay. Awesome. And so, you know, you had this issue in terms of kind of for the, the residents in terms of, of their kind of background comfort with uh, kind of serious illness conversations. And so what was the actual curriculum that you, you created? So we, we did not create the curriculum. We just made it more interactive. There was already a curriculum in place and we used, we took the same exact objectives and made it, first of all, instead of being once a month over 12 months, we made it once a week over three months. And instead of it being all didactic lectures, we used We'd had some didactics, but we also had role-playing, online interactive modules also, which we felt would make the residents more involved and, and just more likely to sort of retain the information. This is our hypothesis. And so the idea was that rather than spacing it out over the course of time, you're, you're kind of more chunking it and so that people get more immersed in it, uh, I, exactly. I guess? Exactly. That was the idea. And definitely more and more active as well. Yes, more okay. interactive, and, and we are hoping more engaging. Perfect. And, and, and so what were those pillars or what were those uh, sessions? Can you tell us a little bit about Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Yes. So, so the role-playing that we did divided the residents into teams of two and had one resident act as a patient with a serious diagnosis, while the other used the serious illness conversation guide that I just described, um, which was created by Ariadne Labs to hold a goals of care conversation. These sessions were observed and moderated by palliative care physicians and direct feedback was given to residents at the end of each simulation. Residents were also given access to interactive online modules, which were sponsored by the Centers to Advance Palliative Care, or the CAPC, which were reviewed as a collective group and addressed topics such as conducting a family meeting, identifying different types of pain, how to conduct a goals of care conversation. Finally, we had didactic lectures given by palliative care specialists, which focused on the importance of advanced care planning documentation, including healthcare proxy and medical order for life-sustaining treatment, most forms, 
as well as proper integration of these forms into the electronic medical record. The didactic sessions also covered general palliative care topics such as pain and symptom management, responding to patients' and families' emotions, and general guidance on requesting formal palliative care or hospice care consults. Sounds great. Sounds very comprehensive in, in terms of it really spans a spectrum, uh, both the theory and then also a lot of practical guidance as well with the, the MOLS as well. And so I'm just thinking about, you know, in terms of kind of the resources that were needed to enact this, this curriculum, the funding, the teachers. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. The teachers are wonderful palliative care faculty, dedicated their time. We did have the Center to Advance Palliative Care modules, uh, I believe was part of a subscription that our hospital said, our, our hospital had. I, I do not know the cost of it. It was something that was already in place. And the Ariadne um, Serious Illness Conversation Guide was used, it's publicly available, it was used with permission from Ariadne Labs. So that was about it. It was a pretty low budget intervention. So yeah, and I assume that the pal care faculty gave their their time and uh, yes. and otherwise yeah a lot of free mainly free stuff or things that were already subscribed to by your institution. So not a yes. particularly expensive course. It just maybe kind of in time. So it sounds like something very generalizable and that other institutions could could uh, you know potentially um, create for themselves as well. Absolutely. You know, and then you had mentioned that these were residents that you were that were learners for this course. Can you tell us a little bit more about them? Like what years they were? Was this a spectrum? How you got them to take the this this kind of course? Sure. So this was done at a community hospital that has its own residency. It's a pretty small residency, and I can actually tell you the details of the learners in one moment. While you're looking for that, yep. you know, it's just interesting to me always, you know, of get, getting individuals to care and do and, and because a lot of these interventions, I always think are, you know, we can teach anybody anything, but, you know, have it have it be meaningful and, and germane to them. I think that it's, you know, there's so much, you know, need in terms of how care education, for, you know, the, you know, working in the ICU setting that I see on a daily basis. Yes, and this whole project was born out of was born out of working working in the ICU setting and feeling like we, we need to be better about about palliative care. So the learners for the course uh, were there were twenty two residents. Um, Ten were PGY one, six PGY two, and six PGY three. In a community hospital, they were predominantly male, fifteen out of twenty two, and they were predominantly international medical graduates, sixteen out of twenty two. They were, you know, this was part of their noon conference. They're somewhat required to show up for it. So, so that was, you know, they, they, they sort of have to go to noon conference. So that part was not difficult. We were not able, you know, I, I think in an ideal world, you'd be able to teach the more senior residents in a different way from the interns and the younger residents, because of course, you know, they have different levels of experience going into this kind of a course, but that was, that's, not the way that our hospital system or our residency were set up. So they, they, it was a one-room schoolhouse. They learned all together. And there, there were sort of few enough of them, I think, that, it, you know, they were comfortable and, and didn't, couldn't really get lost in a crowd because it's a pretty small residency. That's great. And I guess, you know, for your study and for this intervention, you know, how did you look at kind of outcome measurements to see if, if you know, this intervention was going to be beneficial? So we looked at 
two things. There was no assessment of their serious illness conversation ability before the intervention. We assessed their comfort level and feeling of responsibility around discussing code status and goals of care, as well as their familiarity with healthcare proxy and most forms, sort of before and after. And we also then assessed, you know, after the curriculum had been enacted, we assessed their advanced care planning documentation, their palliative care consultation, and the ICU transfer of patients after this, sort of before and after the curriculum. So those, the hard markers that we assessed were code status documentation, advanced care planning documentation, frequency of palliative care consultation, and ICU transfer of patients. That's great. I, I'm, you know, always interested in, you know, when we're teaching curriculums, you know, so often people do like pre and post kind of types of things on and more subjective, you know, outcome measurements. And, and in this, you're really looking at what's the net effect in our actual workplace environment. And so I, I really like, you know, that, that you're looking for that transference of, you know, of the skill and what, what happens with your curriculum in, in the real world setting. All right. So drum roll, you know, what, what were the results, you know, you know, what were, you know, what did you find in terms of uh, the results of your intervention? Did the residents improve? Uh, somewhat. Um, so there, and there was some subjective things that we looked at. I mean, we looked at how they felt about their role in these conversations as well as the, you know, their actual documentation. So pre and post curriculum surveys, starting with subjective, demonstrated that the statistically insignificant improvement in resident confidence for most areas, with the exception of resident perceived ability to respond to patient emotions and to explain different life-sustaining measures to patients and their families. There was, now to, to leave the subjective and go to the hard data, there was a statistically significant increase in code status confirmation rate for admitted patients when ad- assessed at six months post-curriculum. And interestingly, the palliative care consultation rate decreased significantly at six months, which, you know, I hope means that they felt that they were confident and could have these these conversations themselves and that they could provide the care that the patients needed without as much palliative care support. I hope it didn't mean that they were, that, that patients needed palliative care consultation and did not receive it, but the rate did go down. Despite them signaling that they felt more comfortable with healthcare proxy and most forms in their surveys. The documentation rates observed through chart review increased, but did not reach statistical significance when compared to the prior academic year. So they said they felt better, and the number of healthcare proxy and most forms did go up, but it, it was not statistically significant. So I would say they improved. I think we, we made some progress, but there was still work to do after after we finish that curriculum. That's, that's the, again, it's very, very encouraging in terms of, you know, those, those metrics in terms of confidence. I liked how you looked at it six months down the road, as opposed to in a couple of weeks after your, yeah, your program. No, exactly. Well, <laughs> um, we looked at it at three months and then at six months and just wanting to see if we, if it really stuck at six months. Got it. And, and so I guess, you know, looking back now and having going, gone through it, you know, how do you plan to change the curriculum moving forward? Well, it has already changed. Residents specifically asked for less didactic and more role-playing, um, and, the, and it's already been accommodated somewhat. Um, the first thing is, interestingly, it's no longer a three-month intensive curriculum. It's back to a monthly session 
However, there is still role-playing, and there are now paid actors who are now paid actors who are acting via Zoom since we're in the time of COVID as part of this curriculum. Yeah, people always want to do things that are more active, and, you know, so that's a... it's one of the reasons why people love simulations and, and some of those, you know, actors in terms of the standardized patients, they are fantastic, you know, yeah. in terms of their delivery. Um, so I guess, you know, as I move to the, the latter parts of the podcast, I just want to hear about kind of your thoughts on the future of uh, resident training in, in palliative care, you know, kind of interested in your, your thoughts on the effect of some of the stuff that's happened, whether it be COVID, remote training, et cetera. I think there's now an ACGME requirement for palliative care rotation for internal medicine residency, as I understand it, and I think that's great. I am. I, I hope that getting dedicated time to spend on palliative care service really, really teaches them to think about the delivery of goal concordant care and makes them more comfortable with serious illness conversations, and also makes them really think of it as part of their practice part of you know part part of the hospital admission part of the medical care is is having these types of conversations i think that covid made these conversations difficult for several reasons first the family discussions are now often done by phone and in my opinion there's just it's it's all about communication and i think in phone versus in person increases the chances of miscommunication and it also may feel less empathetic or personal to families so, you know, that's a, that's a challenge. You you have to get very comfortable and very good at these conversations to be able to do it well by phone. I think it's also likely that they're less supervised. These conversations are less supervised by attendings since they're mostly done by residents on the phone. So I really hope that the new requirement for palliative care rotation gives the residents the opportunity to practice and give, makes them more comfortable and familiar with all the topics and tools that they need to have these conversations in a way that is most beneficial to families and patients. Yeah, I mean, that makes, both those points make uh, a, a lot of sense to me. With my, you know, ECMO patients, uh, I always try and get the families in-house so I can sit them down, have some really good conversations. I think it wouldn't be the same over over phone and over that kind of distance. And then um, kind of the other one of a supervision, you're right, is that when I go in in, in person, I can have a a larger entourage of of individuals, trainees, and so forth. And so I think there's kind of a group learning and and group dynamic to that, uh, whereas on the phone, it oftentimes devolves into a Um, one-on-one. And so I I thought those are really good points. And we've we've been challenged in COVID because a lot of of the patients who are admitted with COVID, their family members also have COVID. And so, I mean, by our hospital policies, they're not usually allowed to come in. I can't you know, it's not possible. So it, it's phone or FaceTime only. I would say FaceTime and Zoom are helpful in these conversations, but there is the general yeah. feeling that in-person is just always better. Yeah. So, you know, you've told us about the, you know, kind of the need for this, this intervention, how you went about it, the kind of very active nature of kind of your, your um, curriculum. And again, your, your learners will always want it to be even more active in nature. And then kind of the benefits that you saw, you know, to the individuals as well as kind of to the, the system. Anything else that is on your mind that you'd want to comment about about this project? I don't have the best way of getting that healthcare proxy and most form into the chart. So I'm, I am so open to ideas about it. <laughs> um, 
you know, and move, move to New York and, and get an emulst. <laughs> so I, I think I think we we actually talked about that in our in our in the actual paper that yes, um, I, I think the paper the paper thing is cumbersome. I know there are also hospital systems where there there are more resources like uh, social work or case management who take more of an active role in getting healthcare proxy documents signed as as well as most forms. It's it's a very hard thing when when it's a paper form. It's a, it's it is cumbersome. Um, I will I will admit it, it. It was challenging, and I and I do think that it not being an emulsed made a significant made a significant difference. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen it firsthand, obviously, here in, in you know New York is just the ability to do emuls has, has drastically changed kind of the our workflow. And then also yeah. are, are very, you know, we also have lots of great social workers, palliative care, geriatrics, and, and so forth to kind of help shepherd us or even, you know, honestly, poke me like, hey, have you done it? <laughs> and the fact that it's it's fairly easy enough, you know, I, I can go on uh, electronically and, and it links right into our Epic system. So I think, you know, systems issues of trying to make things easier and then train of that is, is I don't know, it's at least a, no, it sounds like a good idea. Yeah, no, absolutely. We, we've had cases where we have done it, and but the paper, the paper form somehow has not made it back to the nursing home mm. or the or wherever. Like we have, we have, we have definitely struggled with that. Yeah, um, great point. So, yeah, it's it, it's a work in progress. You know, we're we're always trying to be better. But I do I do think that this conversation is extremely important, and these skills are extremely important, honestly, to everybody who practices medicine and. You know, I'm always trying to emphasize that in my teaching and with my residents. Yeah, and and absolutely, I'm, I'm kind of you know coming from the bias of, of critical care, but this has a lot of you know we see a lot of our advanced uh, lung patients, you know, and so it has a lot of applicability pulmonary to you know internal medicine, so forth, oncology. I think everybody should be invested in this topic. So thank you again, Elizabeth, for spending time with us and sharing this project and paper and your kind of insights into, into this area of palliative care. We really appreciate that. Well, thank you for having me. That does it for us and this latest scholarly podcast. And for those podcast listeners, Dr. Stevens' article on effect of palliative care curriculum, serious illness conversation preparedness, is available on the ATS Scholar website at atsjournals.org. Otherwise, stay tuned for more scholarly podcasts coming soon.